Jesus. We sing, holy, holy, holy are you. Lord, we are amazed by you. Lord, it is our desire that everything that we say, everything that we do, Lord, all that we sing and all that we share would bring glory to you. Lord, it is such a, a special thing to be able to worship you and to gather together and do this openly. Lord, our hearts go out to our brothers and sisters around the world who can't, who, who have to sneak around and uh, meet in just a couple, three in, in quiet basement apartments, Lord, because it's against the law to do what they're doing. Lord, strengthen them. Give them courage. Lord, we ask that you add to their numbers and bless them. Lord, now as we turn our attention tonight to your word, and uh, we ask that it would go through us, that, that you would have your way in us tonight. Lord, we get, invite you to, to join us as we open your word, Lord. We are here in your name. We want to hear from you. Bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, all right. What a, what a privilege it is. We truly are blessed that we can just gather here openly and, and, and do this. Amen. Uh, let's, uh, let's take out our Bibles and open them up to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30, we covered the first roughly half of this chapter last week. If you'll remember, we talked about Jacob leave, leaving his, his home, leaving his, his mother and his father and his, all, of, all of his comforts that he had there, basically leaving with nothing but a, but a, a walking stick and some minor provisions. The Lord guiding him and leading him by the power of his, the Holy Spirit to Laban's family, where he ended up with we had two wives, two concubines, and we left off 11 sons and one daughter. Uh, and that's where we left off last, last time, verse 24. We pick up now, after the birth of his first son with his, uh, his, daughter, his wife, Rachel, the one whom he loved and wanted to marry, that's the one that he first saw they have their first child together, uh, Joseph, and we'll talk about that as we left off last time. Verse 25 is where we'll pick up tonight. Genesis 30, verse 25, it says, Now it came about, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go my, to, to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me depart for you yourself know my service which I have rendered to you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. So we have here, again, if you'll remember last time, Jacob made a deal with Laban that he would work for Rachel for seven years. Laban did a little switcheroo on wedding night and gave him his daughter Leah, agreed then for seven more years that he would have his daughter he could have his daughter Rachel. So we are somewhere right around that 14-year period, seven years after they are married. We don't have an exact time frame with that. Again, we, they, they have 12 children with all of the concubines and the two wives. But uh, So we're somewhere in that time frame, and he says, all right, I've fulfilled my obligation to you. Let me go. But Laban, realizing that God has been blessing him, through Jacob and through the work that Jacob's been doing for him, he says, well, wait a second, wait a second. I see this. 
He says in verse 28, name your wages and I will give it. And his, his, the thing I want to point out to you in this is in verse 27, it's interesting that Laban doesn't focus necessarily on the, what Jacob has done, but what has, God has done through Jacob. We're going to find out if we haven't seen it already. It's going to be reinforced to us. Laban is not a follower of Jehovah God. He might be one of his gods that he uses compartmentally, but he has many gods. But he has seen how Jacob has followed God the true and living God, and how he's been blessed because of that. I just want to make note of that because it's very important that we as Christians, that we work in such a way, giving glory and honor to God, that the, the world around us sees that. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Doing everything that we do, giving all praise and honor and glory to Jesus, to God, for, for the allowing us to do what we do. And in that, the world sees. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They see what's going on in our lives. They see the work that we're doing. We give all glory and honor to God and then therefore giving testimony to them. Never underestimate your testimony. Never underestimate the, the, the things that, that you do giving glory to God. People do see it. People do notice. Here we see Laban, who will shine his true colors through our study tonight. But he even saw that God blessed him on Jacob's account. So he continues, verse 28, Name your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. Jacob now speaking. For you had little before I came, and it has increased to a multitude, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. Again, he's giving all glory to God. The Lord's blessed you wherever I've turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he says again, what shall I give you? Name it. You tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. And Jacob says, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban says, so what do you want? I'll name your, I'll name your, you name your wages, I'll pay it. And Jacob says, I don't want anything from you. Do you remember that being said by somebody else back in our study? Remember Abraham when he was dealing with the king of Sodom? And Abraham said, I don't want anything from you lest you be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I want all glory and honor to go to God for making me who I am. You get no credit in this. And I see the same things being said here by Jacob. Laban, you're not going to make me. You're not, you're not going to prosper me. I don't want anything from you. Now, the way it's written out here can be said, looked at two different ways. And either way, we see Jacob really shining in this. He either is saying, okay, you're going to give me the spotted and speckled ones, which are the less desirable ones. I'll take those off your hands. And if you find any that are, that are pure, that are, that are without spot or speckle, consider those stolen. Now, that doesn't really seem to line up with what he said, you shall give me nothing, if he then says, I'll take the spotted and speckled one. So I tend to believe there's kind of a split decision on this as to how, what he's saying. I tend to believe he's saying, 
Be, and based on what's going to happen next, Laban, you take all the spotted and speckled ones away, and any ones that are born from now on, those are mine. And in that, again, we see a tremendous amount of faith in God through Jacob. Jacob is saying, I am going to believe. I met with God 14 to 20 years ago, somewhere in that time frame, and he promised he would be with me. He promised he would bless me. He promised he would never leave me, and he would bring me back to my homeland and prosper me. So I'm going to completely trust in him. And we see that total trust in the, in the true and living God. And when we do that again, we give such glory to him. We see God work in miraculous ways. Well, verse 34 said, Laban said, good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled spotted female goats, every one with white in it and the black ones from among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons and put a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. So here again, Laban saying, all right, that sounds like a deal. He takes all the spotted, speckled ones that, Abraham, that, that Jacob said, I'll take from here, and he's going to remove it, pretty much any possibility that he's going to get anything, take him three days' journey away. I, I, I like what I, when I see this again. I believe that Jacob is completely trusting in God, even though things now seem to be impossible. Now he's left with all of these perfect animals and how this is going to all happen and i when i think of things like that i think of what must be going through his mind thinking man now there's no chance but god is involved and i think of gideon if you remember judges chapter 7 he's going to go out and fight 135,000 midianites and only 32,000 of his guys show up pretty bad odds but god said there's too many of you so go ahead and make them all a deal, one-time offer only, that if you're too scared to fight, you can go home. So Gideon says, all right, thinking maybe a couple hundred might take off. Well, he whittles it down to 10,000 by doing that. God said, there's still too many. Take him over to the, take him over to the stream and have him, have him drink water. And, and of those that lap it up like a dog, those are the ones you take. Well, he ended up with 300. So the odds went from really bad to impossible, 400 to 1. And that's where God says, that's where I can work. That's where my glory can be shown. And then he sends them out to battle with trumpets and, and lamps. And they totally decimate the, the opposition by the power of God. Well, again, I see that happening now here with, with Jacob. All of a sudden now, he's got no spotted and speckled sheep and goats to work with, to start with, and he's gonna just totally trust in God to do that. I see, in, again, here in Jacob, this the reaction, he doesn't fight back. He doesn't say, hey, that's not fair. What are you doing? Laban takes, him off, takes it and goes. So verse 37 says, Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white stripes in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. He set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in their watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, and they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and took the flocks' faces toward the striped and all the black in the flocks of Laban, and he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Moreover, when the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. Verse 42, but when the flock was feeble, they he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger were Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. So here we see Jacob 
kind of doing some ingenuity, trying to see what he could do to, to, pro, to, to, to develop some spotted speckled sheep. And some people, it's, it's funny, all the different commentaries you read about this. I just, I find this really humorous about all the different people trying to put stuff into this. Saying, well, here's the, the prenatal suggestion. That was the funniest one, I thought, that he's trying to somehow coort, you know, put speckled and, and put things in front of the mother's eyes so that, you know, the whole prenatal suggestion, if the, the thing, you, maybe you've heard about the, the two ladies that were talking and, and one said, well, when, when I was conceived that day, my mom was painting and she had this big thing of red paint that she knocked over in her lap and it made this huge mess. That's why I was born a redhead. And the other one said, well, when I was conceived, my mom dropped a whole bunch of phonograph records and broke them all, broke them all over the ground, and that didn't affect me, affect me, affect me, affect me. <laughs> I was going to tell Tony that to use with the youth, but they'd go, what's a phonograph record? So I had to, I had to share that with you guys tonight. I, I, uh, anyway. We don't, we're not given anything in here as to why he did that. I mean, he was maybe reading Shepherd's Illustrated or Goats Unlimited, and there was an article in there about, you know, the, try this. You know, the, the only thing that seems to make any sense is that some of these things were considered to be an aphrodisiac that would, you know, speed up the mating process with the lambs and the goats. But bottom line is, He's totally trusting in God with what he's doing. He's not trying to manipulate anything here. God blesses his efforts, regardless of how, how silly they may be. He's, he's just moving forward, trusting in God with this. God totally blesses it, because it tells us in verse 43, the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks of female and male servants and camels and donkeys. We're going to find out later that Laban, every, pretty much every time he came by to check up, saw how Jacob is prospering, so he changes the rules, and God continues to change and see what's going on. Jacob's not trying to keep up with this, I don't think. I think he's just saying, man, God, look at what you're doing. So, continues, chapter 31, as we move on there. Now, Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that, our fa that was our father's, and from what belonged to our father, he has made all his wealth. Verse 2, Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly toward him as formerly. Here again, we see another example of God blessing someone, and we have two choices to make when we see that happening. We can either praise God and glorify God in seeing someone be blessed, or we in our own flesh can become bitter, can become angry, you see this the way the brothers are reacting. They even start bringing accusations against Jacob. What more could Laban have done to totally hamstring this project other than move all of the spotted and speckled animals three days' journey away, yet God is still blessing? And I, I just say that again just to bring it up because it's, it can be such an uh, uh, issue with our own hearts at times when we see God blessing others. And, and maybe it's not happening in our lives the way that we wanted it to. And it really needs to be a battle of our flesh to praise God for the blessings that are going on in others' lives. And when we do, we are blessed in that. I think of, of again, as I'm preparing some of the studies that I'm going to be teaching over in Israel. One was Gideon, in case you don't know. That's where I kind of came up with that today. But another one, talking about David and Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan. 
Saul's son, legitimately, based on the way things went back then, was, should have been king following his father. But Jonathan knew that David was anointed the next king. And instead of being bitter, instead of trying to find accusations against David to bring him down like we see Laban's sons doing, trying to accuse him of things, he totally accepted the role that, that David was going to be king. And he praised God for that. And he was David's best friend. We have that same choice. The same choice is placed before us all the time. Do we come alongside one another, give God glory, pray together, and just praise God together while someone else is being blessed and we might not so much? Or do we become bitter and, and angry and angry at God for that? Well, we see that they chose that and they have a miserable lot in life. It says here, Jacob saw that the attitude toward Laban had changed from friendly. And we remember back verse 27 of the previous chapter, he saw God blessing himself. Laban was getting blessed and man, everything's good. Now Jacob's getting blessed, not so much. Verse three, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So God speaks to Jacob and says, return home. I will be with you. And I, I love that because that continual reminder again. I'm going to be with you, Jacob. I know it's going to be rough. Things are going to seem crazy, but I am with you. Verse 4, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. And he said to them, I see your father's attitude that it is not friendly towards me as formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. I haven't cheated him. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. God protected me. Verse 8, if he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flocks brought forth speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages. Then all the flocks brought forth striped. Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. He's, he's prospered me. Verse 10, And it came about at the time when the flocks were mating that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and molted. And the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. He said, Lift up your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating and striped and speckled and molted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed an, a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not reckoned by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the wealth which God has given away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Again, we see Jacob giving complete and total praise, honor, and glory and credit to God in all of this. He's protected me. He's prospered me. He doesn't, he doesn't take any credit for his peeling of the sticks. Didn't that work out great, ladies? You saw that, didn't you? You saw how smart I was in figuring that whole thing out. Takes no credit for any of that. He recognizes that all of this is a gift of God. Now, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? 
Again, we need to understand, guys, that everything that we have, all the things that we have come from God. Everything is a gift from him. James 1.17 says that every good thing given, every perfect give, gift comes down from heaven, from the Father of lights. John 3.27, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from above. Prosperity comes from the Lord. We see that through what is going on here in Jacob's life. Yeah, he could try to take some credit for it, but he doesn't. He realizes that. All, the, everything belongs to the Lord. We're not owners of anything. We, we, uh, we're just stewards. Now, it's not a sin to have money. It's not a sin to have stuff. Again, we see in verse 41 that he became exceedingly prosperous. He became exceedingly rich. But the important question that we need to always ask ourselves is, does our money or our stuff have us? Is that what is controlling us? Is that what is driving us? And it's obviously Jacob's heart to give all credit to God. Now, I like this, that he says, verse 9, he says, Thus God has taken away from your father's livestock and given them to me. Maybe you've heard the, the story about the, the lady who uh, was, lived next door to this atheist, and she was just a God-fearing woman, loved the Lord, and she was outside one day, and, just, and he could hear her, overhear her praying on her porch, saying, Lord, you know that I'm down to my last bit of money, and I can't afford any, any groceries, so I, just, I pray that you would somehow provide for me. And so he heard that, and he said, ah, I know what I'm going to do. So he runs down to the grocery store, and he buys a whole bunch of groceries. And then he, when she wasn't looking, she, he snuck up on the porch, and he stuck it by the front door, and he rings the doorbell, and he goes and hides behind the bushes. She comes out, and she opens up the door, and she sees the groceries, and she goes, oh, thank you, Jesus, for the groceries. And he goes, aha. He jumps out, and he says, it wasn't Jesus, it was me. And she goes, and you had the devil pay for it. Jacob, giving all praise and honor to glory, and we're taking it away from, from Laban as we're prospering. Well, we see here, too, that because of the way that Jacob lived, because of the way that he honored God, because of the way he says, you know I've served your father with all my strength. I never cheated him. You saw it. You were here. We see down here at the end, they've said, do whatever God has for you. They saw in Jacob, through him, they saw his love for the Lord. They saw God prosper him. They saw their dad, the way he acted. They saw the, the, the comparison of the two, and they said, we will follow you. We don't want anything to, to do with him. We want to follow you. It's amazing that, that that takes it right there in verse 16. I think it's the only time we see in all of this time together that the two sisters agree on anything. Before we move away from this, a lot of times the question comes up, and this is a study all in of itself, but we see some, a, a great little outline here, just to, if you're a note taker, how do I know the will of God? How can I dis determine the will of God for me? Well, we see four things that are lined out here that are a really good kind of outline in Jacob. First of all, we see that there was a desire placed in his heart. Now, if you look back to verse 25 of chapter 30, it says, Now it came when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place, back to my own country. I want to go back. I'm, I'm feeling called back there in my heart. So there's a desire. There's, there's that, that, that burning placed in his heart. 
Well, secondly, we see that his circumstances changed to open up the opportunity for that. It didn't seem to be the right time back then because he didn't have anything to leave with. Here's the opportunity that's been opened up for him to, get to, to multiply his flocks and to, to prosper in such a way. But now things are changing. All of a sudden, Laban's not so friendly towards him. His, the sons are starting to accuse things. Things have changed. Opportunity now has changed. Doors are open. So we see a desire placed, circumstances lining up to allow it. We see in verse 3 that there was a divine message, you know, God speaking directly to him. Now, that will happen from time to time. God will lay an impression on your heart that you swear as an audible voice from God. That does happen from time to time. It's happened to me. I'm sure that there's many in this room where you, you just know God spoke to you. But it doesn't happen all the time. But he will speak to you through his word. If you are in his word daily and you are praying and you are asking God to reveal himself and reveal his will to you through his word, he will. And you'll be blown away how specific it will be in his word speaking to you. Well, those three things lined up. And then fourthly, he sought confirmation. He went to his wives and explained the whole thing to them. And they were in agreement. So we see, first of all, the desire placed on his heart. The circumstances changed. He hears a direct word from God. He goes and gets confirmation. The Proverbs tells us that there's wisdom in doing that. Before you're going to make a big decision, go to some other godly people and ask them to pray with you about something. Now, that should never, ever trump God speaking directly to you. But there is wisdom in doing that. And if you are married, you should always go to your spouse and ask them to pray through that with you. Now, understand, men, first of all, your wives have extreme, unbelievable, extraordinary wisdom. <laughs> Listen to them. Listen to them. Wives, your husband ultimately is responsible for the decisions that's made. So if he's praying and he's feeling a direction from the Lord, and you've voiced your opinion and you've shared that with him, but he still feels that the Lord is calling him in this direction, again, Ephesians tells that the, the wife is to submit to the husband. And we saw how God blessed that, even though Abraham made some wrong decisions. If you'll remember, when Sarah said, all right, I will submit to that, God still blessed it and honored it. But we see a great outline for following God's will here, just some, some practical things that we can plug in. Well, verse 17, decisions made, we're packing up camp and we're moving. Then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his property, which he had gathered. His acquired livestock, which he had gathered in Pedanaram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, then Rachel stole a household idol that were her father's. Some household idols that, uh, idols that were her father's. So here they are. Laban's gone, along with the sons. They're out shearing their sheep. And remember, that's a three-day journey away. Laban think he's being smart moves all these away, three days away. Well, now Jacob says, we're taking off. We're going to leave. So they pack up everything. They leave. Rachel sneaks off and steals a couple of the household idols that her father Laban had. Jacob doesn't know anything about this. He, she steals them, puts them in her stuff as they leave. And we see, as we go through this, we see that, that, that Rachel trusted in the God of Jacob. She trusted in that God. She said, we'll follow you. You listen to that God and we'll follow you. But she was reluctant to give up all of her other superstitions, all of her other previous things. And we see that so much 
in the world around us, even in the church. People trusting in God, making a declaration of faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, yet still holding on to religion, still holding on to the world, still holding on to, to rituals. I, uh, I, I came across some statistics today. It says most of Americans own a Bible. In fact, 92% of households in America have at least one copy of the Bible. 92%. The, the statistics, and I didn't copy this one down, but it, it was over 50% of outspoken atheists have a copy of the Bible in their home. But having a copy of the Bible in your home really doesn't do a whole lot if it's just a copy of a book in your home. It says, less than 50% of Americans can name the first book of the Bible. By the way, we're studying that, just in case <laughs> you didn't know. Only one-third of Americans, listen to this, only one-third of Americans know who delivered the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know who the number one answer is for that, by the way? Billy Graham. <laughs> More people think Billy Graham gave the Sermon on the Mount than Jesus. 25% of Americans don't know what is celebrated on Easter. 25%. Gang, Easter's coming up. That, if the statistics are correct, one in four of your neighbors don't know what we need to celebrate on Easter. You need to invite them. 12% of Christians, now this is, this is really where it gets, 12% of Christians think Noah's wife is Joan of Arc. 80% though, here, and this is again, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as, as we finish up at the end, but 80% of born-again Christians, there was, I pulled just a few statistics off this, 80% of born-again Christians think it is the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves. 80%. That's not in the Bible. God didn't say that. Ben Franklin said that. Now, the percentage of Americans who read the Bible at least once a week is 37%. And this is my point that I want to make. 37% of Americans say they read their Bible once a week. How many per what percentage of Americans do you suppose read their horoscope every day? I couldn't find an answer, but I bet you it's higher than 37%. And unfortunately, I'll bet you the statistics aren't that different when we get into people who consider themselves Christians because we supposedly live in a Christian nation where the majority of people consider themselves Christians. And it's important that, and my point that I want to make here is, you know, here's Rachel. She sees the power of God. She sees it working in her husband's life. She's, she's following in this, yet she's still holding on to, to this ritual, this old religion. And it's so important for us to make a complete break away from religion and rituals and the world and follow Jesus wholly and completely with all that we have. Well, verse 20, it says, And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, and again, he moved three days away, so it took three days for the news to get there, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream of the night and said to him, Be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Again, we see God's continued protection. We don't know what Laban's 
intentions were, but I assume they weren't good. And God said, don't do it. Verse 25, Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban and his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might send, have sent you away with joy and with songs and with timbrel and with a lyre? Yeah, right. <laughs> Going to throw a party for you. And did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have acted foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. Not hardly. Again, here, the, the, the Laban's just talking out of both sides of his mouth, changing tune. He, he, I probably realized they weren't buying the whole party thing. So he says, well, it was in my power to harm you, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Here, he's tr coming up with a third angle to figure, you know, try to convince why he's chasing after him. So you stole my gods. Verse 31, it says, Then Jacob replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Because I was afraid. That really, when I read that, you know, and again, I'd read through this several times, and it was one of the last times I read through it, kind of making notes. That just jumped out. Because I was afraid, that's not why he left. He left because back verse 3 says, God told him to leave and that I would be with you. Here's again an opportunity for Jacob to, to shine. And unfortunately, we see again Jacob's flesh. We see it as it happened with Abraham, his grandpa, the opportunity. And his dad, when faced with these certain things, man, they're doing so well. But then, boom. And I do have... I do have a soft spot. I, it does help me a little bit because how often we fail, how often I fail. If they, the Bible was full of stories, full of perfect men, it would be really hard to keep this walk going. But here we see, here we see it. Because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. Turn with me real quickly. Real quickly. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This is such an important verse and concept for us to understand because we all face fear we all are afraid of things no matter how strong our faith is there are times when we face things that honestly we 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 have fear about and we need to understand first timothy or second timothy chapter one verse seven it says for god has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear but of power and love and discipline First of all, it's not saying that, that we have this power of power in, our, in ourselves, this spirit of power. We need to understand that we are completely inadequate. You have a feeling of inadequacy, that's good. That's a great place to start. That's perfect. We need to understand that our weaknesses don't hinder God's work and our strengths don't help it. Our weaknesses don't hinder what God's going to do and our strengths don't help it. It's all him says that, Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, understand here, verse 7 that we're looking at in 2 Timothy, it's the spirit it's talking about there is not the Holy Spirit. It's an attitude produced by the Holy Spirit that was, is within us. The Holy Spirit, God's spirit within us. 
this spirit of fear, the spirit of timidity, the spirit of doubt, that oppression, that overwhelming thing, we need to understand that is not of God. That is of the enemy. That is of our flesh that is continually at war with the spirit. It tells us that we have a, a spirit of power, that Greek word dunamis. That means the ability. We have the ability to overcome, and it's a supernatural ability. A spirit of love. An others first kind of love. That is what is in us. We, that is what the Spirit gives us. And I say that because a lot of times one of the biggest fears that we have, and as I've just shared with you now, you have an opportunity to go talk to your neighbors, invite them to come. We have a fear, a natural fear within us of sharing that. The Spirit that we have within us, though, that comes through the Holy Spirit living within us should overcome that with love. The fact that they are lost and going to hell without the good news of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That love should overcome that fear. A true love for the lost destroys a fear of sharing our faith. All of this is supernatural. The Holy Spirit within us. If we focus on ourself and our own resources, we will fail. We will crumble in fear. But if we focus on Jesus, if we focus on the power within us, and his fully sufficient resources, that is where the power is. Not, not freaking out. Mark chapter 4 has got a great illustration of that. The disciples are in the boat. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. They all climb in the boat. They're, all, they're, they're going across, and there's this huge storm that comes. Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. But all of the disciples are freaking out, panicking. They wake him up. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus gets up, where's your faith? Guys, I said, let's go to the other side. That means we're going to the other side. If, if, if we have the right spirit, we know that God is with us. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. Remember the promise he made? We, wrote, we talked about that last week. We shouldn't fear where we're going. He is with us. He'll get us there, wherever he is taking us. Verse 3 of our text tells us, God said, return, I will be with you. So what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of, Laban? What is he, like 130? You're afraid of Laban? What can he do to you? If God is for us, who could be against us? We don't have that spirit. Well, back to our text, verse 32. The one with whom you find the gods shall not live, Jacob says. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household items and put them in the camel's saddle, and she sat on them. And Laban felt through all of the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise up for you, for the matter of woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household idols. So he goes through, can't find them, she hit him. Verse 36, Then Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt through all of my goods what have you found of all of your household goods there? Set it before me and my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flock. 
That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was the day the heat consumed me and the frost by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I've served you 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flocks, and you've changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. Here he's finally had enough, and he says, this is crazy, and he kind of, kind of comes unglued a little bit. 20 years of frustration of all of this going on, and he lays it all out. Now again, I want to point out this to you, because I, I, I think, again, I, Jacob's gotten a bad rap. I, again, reading commentaries through this week talking about con man against con man, who can outswindle who, kind of this whole thing. Look back at verse 38. It says, These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. It's very common to have miscarriages. If you have a shepherd that's not on top of things, that's not really paying attention when a, when a lamb goes into labor or any animal goes into labor, if he's not on top of it, if he was... Take paying more attention to his stuff than Laban's, he would have missed that. That would have happened, but he was all over it. He, he treated them like they were his own. Nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That was common practice. You have a hired shepherd. He's out for weeks at a time with taking care of your sheep. He would kill one every once in a while and eat it, kind of like working at a fast food place. You grab a burger every once in a while. It's part of, part of what, was the, what was the pay. Jacob said, I never did that. Never once butchered one of your animals he says that which was torn of beasts i did not bring to you again common practice you would bring the carcass of an animal that was was killed by a wild animal bring a carcass of the lamb and you'd say see i did everything that i could that's why i brought the carcass he didn't even carry it away i chased him away but it was too late and he died and the master then would take that responsibility jacob said i didn't even do that i paid for it out of my own pocket if you would doesn't sound like the swindler, conniver guy that, that he's made out to be to me. Sounds like one who was upstanding and again wanted to represent God in an amazing way to this pagan man. Well, anyway, after he lays all of this out to Laban, verse 43 says, Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day that to these my daughters and to my children whom they have born? Well, nothing. You can't do anything. Again, he's, he's really grasping at straws here. J Jacob is completely above reproach as he's laid this all out. Laban is speechless, although he's trying to make a point. So now come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us be a witness between you and me. So he's going to draw up a covenant here. Says verse 45, then Jacob took a stone and set it as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. So they took the stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Now Laban called his something, and Jacob called his something. They're both meaning the heap of the witness, one in Hebrew, one in Aramaic, the heap of the witness. Verse 48, Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore it was named Galid and Mizpah. For he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. If you mistreat my daughters or if you take my wives besides my daughters, if you take wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, God is witness between you and me. Now, 
couple of things here. It's interesting. First of all, it says, if you take wives besides my daughters, basically, if you, if you commit polygamy, and it was Laban's fault that he was a polygamist. He had all these wives because of Laban. And he says, well, don't do it again. But it says here, and they called it Mizpah. And he says, verse 40, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Interesting. I didn't know this. Maybe you, you all did. But there is such a thing called a Mizpah necklace. Anybody heard of that? Or a Mizpah coin? It's one of those things that it, it sounds so romantic and so neat. It's got a coin and it's got this written on it. May the Lord watch between you and me while we are absent from one another. And it's cut in half. And then one, the, you know, the, the, the man takes one and the woman takes one. So when they're apart, God watches between us. Doesn't that sound all sweet? Taken out of context a little, don't you think? Basically, what Laban is saying here is, I can't trust you as far as I can spit. So we are going to do this. We're going we're to make this thing Mizpah right here. I can't trust you. You can't trust me. Not so sweet anymore. <laughs> the point I want to make in this is, God's word is not a toy. When we take verses here and there and we take them out of context, we totally destroy the power of God's word. God's word is extremely powerful when it is used properly and in context. We should quote God's word. There's power in God's word. There's no power in our word. But when we take it out of context, when we use it inappropriately, we give the enemy all sorts of room to make hay with that. Plus, it takes all the power away. I... There was a, a few weeks ago, football player, I won't name him, Afterwards, getting interviewed on television, national television. And it was after one of the playoff games. And he said, and you know, again, it sounds great. And to somebody who's, you know, a casual go to church every once in a while could say, man, that's great. But he said, no weapon formed against this team will prosper. Man, talk about taking God's word completely out of context. There was, it had nothing to do with a football team. <laughs> Maybe you've heard some kids try to take that phrase, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, the proverb, and make it two proverbs. Spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> Actually, that's completely out of context. <laughs> well, not out of context, it's wrong. It says, he who withholds the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Probably won't find kids quoting that now. <laughs> real, real quickly, one other example. And this is one that's gotten some publicity over the last couple of years. Turn to Isaiah chapter 9 if you would. Isaiah chapter 9. Verse 10 was quoted a couple of times right after September 11th by senators, by people who were trying to really get everybody all excited about, about man, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna prevail. Isaiah 9, verse 10, it says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with smooth stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Man, that sounds like a great battle cry, doesn't it? it sounds like an awesome thing. Man, that, if, not, if that doesn't rally the troops, what will? The problem is, if you take this in context, 
God is dealing with Israel. God is the one bringing the punishment against Israel. And Israel arrogantly says this. Look back, verse 9. And all the people know it, that is Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, asserting in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with smooth stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord raises against them adversaries from resin and spurs their enemies on, the Arameans on the east and the Philistines on the west, and they devour Israel with gaping jaws. In spite of this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is stretched out still. I I don't know that I'd want to be quoting that again, but so many people, again, don't know the word of God. They, They pull a verse here or they pull a verse there to make themselves sound spiritual or to sound right. Gang, we can't do that. We can't do that. That's why it's so important and that's why we place such an emphasis on teaching through the word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. The entire counsel of God and understanding what does it say? What does it mean? How do I apply it in my life? It's not a toy. It's not a toy. It's the holy word of God. Well, finish up. Verse 51. Laban said to Jacob, behold this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. Again, here the arrogance of this guy, which I have set up between you and me. Verse 45. Then Jacob took a stone and set it as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather the stones. So they took the stones and made the heap. But here's Laban taking credit for it. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. So he's pulling in all of his gods saying they'll judge and Jacob again, Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, the God of Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal, and they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Didn't kiss Jacob and wish him well, but did with his family, and that's the last we hear of Laban. That's it. I, I don't know that it ended well for him. But, all right, well, we will pick up there next week. I'll have the worship guys come up, and we'll sing one more song together. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Uh, Lord, we do thank you for your word. And, Lord, I do pray that each one of us would, would hold it for what it is, your holy and precious word. Lord, that we, that we would use it because there is power in your word, power in your word for our lives, power in your word to change others' lives. But Lord, it is not a toy. Lord, I pray that we would have a a reverence for your word. Lord, give us a desire to study it, to study it all, to to seek you in it and your, your will for us and for our lives in your word. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together tonight studying it. And Lord, I pray that we are all blessed by it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, If you would, let's stand. We'll sing one more song together as we leave. I did forget to mention before, guys, so if any of you are sneaking out during the song, that Fuel is this Saturday, our men's breakfast. Sign up for that. Let's sing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy. 
God bless you all. Have a wonderful evening. Hope to see you all here this weekend. Take care.